And if you will turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Acts. We were moving at, I thought, a pretty good pace through the book of Acts, and we've come to Acts 16 and have lingered here. In fact, I plan on lingering a couple of more weeks after this. Please hear God's word. Acts 16, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushing in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that as we hear um, your word um, proclaimed uh, through the the preaching, I pray that you would help us, uh, even myself, uh, to trust in you, to be reminded that you take care of your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've made some bold statements over the past couple of weeks as we've been looking at Acts 16. I've said that in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, that God is the one who placed you there. I also said that God is 100% in control of your life and circumstances. So that even if your circumstances are unthinkably brutal and harsh, you can still trust in God. I even stated that you can rejoice in your circumstances because God is good and He has a good purpose in every trial, in every instance of suffering that comes your way, uh, however unpleasant, however intense the suffering. Now you may have been asking yourself as I was making these statements, how can we trust in God? Because that's easier said than done. And I agree. It is difficult. Exceedingly so, especially when you're right in the middle of the suffering or the trial or the persecution or whatever circumstances you may find yourself in. 
it is the most logical response for people, you would think, uh, for people who believe that God is almighty and that God loves them so much that He would give His one and only Son, you would think that it would be um, logical for us to trust Him implicitly. Uh, in fact, on the one of the quotes on the front of the bulletin, uh, William Plummer asked this question, Why are we so slow to trust an infinite God? It seems logical. That... Uh, and seems right. It seems like it would be our first response. He is infinite. And He loves us. And He gave His own Son to die for us. This is Paul's logic in Romans chapter 8. If He did not spare His own Son for us, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? But, alas, it is still difficult our mistrust, our unbelief overcomes our logic. So I ask again, because you may have been asking this question over the past couple of weeks, how can we bring ourselves to trust in God more consistently while we are in the middle of suffering? In regard to um, this issue of trusting God... The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. This is going to guide my thoughts for the next few uh, minutes, and so I want you to hear it. I want you to to um, I want you to to uh, take hold of this little phrase. Um, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And what I'm saying here is that the heart is the control center of the soul. We're not talking, of course, about this organ here in our chest that, uh, that pumps blood and oxygen you know, throughout our body. But rather, we're talking of, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about where our deepest desires reside. Where our most earnest longings um, reside in our soul. Uh, this is the place of our ultimate yearnings. It's the place where we worship. So when the psalmist cries out um, in Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. This is not a logical syllogism. This is not a, um, uh, a, a just an emotional cry. Rather, this is the cry of his heart. His longest, deepest yearning is for God. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. What he's doing here is he is worshiping. He's not simply singing a hymn. He's not simply bowing his head uh, while a prayer is offered. He is worshiping in his heart. He longs for God. The heart is so important because it is the spring of all of our actions. We only act 
in accordance with our heart desires. Jesus put it like this in, in Luke six forty three through 45 For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, your actions begin in your hearts. Your desires determine your actions. If you treasure goodness and righteousness, then your life will be filled with good and right actions. If you treasure evil and selfishness, then your life will be filled with evil, um, evil actions and selfish acts. Jesus uh, pictures the heart as both the roots and the tree uh, from which our actions are produced. Our actions are the fruits, but the fruit comes from. Uh, from the tree. And that's why he says that it's impossible for a thorn bush to produce figs or to put it in South Florida terms. It is impossible for an oak tree to produce oranges. And there's several lessons we can learn from this. First of all, behavioral changes are not real or lasting change. So we can take a staple gun and several bags of oranges. And we can go out to these, these, um, these oak trees that we have around our property. And we can staple all these oranges to all these oak trees. But when we finished, we don't have an orange grove. We have a whole bunch of oak trees with oranges foolishly stapled all over them. Similarly... We can throw a thief in jail. We can bolt down everything that they could possibly steal. And yet in their hearts, that thief is still going to be a thief. And he will continue to be a thief until he, in his heart, becomes a generous person. In other words, he doesn't stop being a thief when his behaviors change. Because you can change his behaviors by bolting everything down. He stops being a thief when his heart is changed. When he becomes different. When he becomes a generous person. Now, if he truly does become a generous person, I would say it would be nearly impossible for that same person to steal. Secondly, your actions reveal your heart. I've mentioned this before, but I'm always incredulous whenever I see some sports figure, um, some athlete on television when they've done something just incredibly stupid or or, uh, said something that was just... that, that they just shouldn't have said. And they always say, 
well, that's not who I am. And I'm always talking back to the television. Yeah, that's exactly who you are. It's kind of painful to to realize it, isn't it? But that is who you are. Yes, that's you. Or people when they get drunk. You know, what alcohol does is it removes the inhibition. They're actually doing when they are drunk and do something unwise, something foolish. They're actually doing things that they wish that they could otherwise do. Or what about us? We like to hide behind our habits. Well, I'm addicted to this or that uh, behavior, so I'm not responsible. Or this is a habit that I have in my life and I can't break it. And you may, at, at some level, hate your habits or your addictions because of the consequences that it brings in your life. But at some other level, you desire them. Otherwise, you wouldn't do them. In light of this, I want to take a look at Paul and Silas as they are languishing there in the prison. They are not only in the prison, they are in the deepest cell in the prison. And they have been unjustly accused and convicted, thrown into jail. Their feet have been put into chains. And what do we find them doing? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, I did, in my preparations, this didn't occur to me. But uh, it just suddenly occurred to me as I'm reading this. As they're singing at midnight. You, you'd think that the, the other prisoners would be saying, Be quiet. There was this... Um, Guy on my hall at Covenant College, Don Wayne Robertson Jr. And uh, when the teacher would ask his name, it wasn't Don, it wasn't Wayne, it was Don Wayne Robertson Jr. Brother, that's usually the way he would say it. And uh, he's a PCA minister now. He would get up at 6 in the morning and he would sing hymns. He had a beautiful voice and he would sing loudly on our hall. And all up and down the hall, we would be saying, Shut up, Don Wayne. <laughs> and so the, uh, the prisoners here were a little more sanctified, apparently, than we were on my hall at Covenant College. What does this tell us about Paul's heart and Silas and his heart? As they were singing after they had been unjustly thrown into the deepest part of the prison. Well, it says that Paul's heart was trusting in God. See, Paul knew that God loved him. Paul knew that God had called him to proclaim the gospel. And he knew that God was in control. And so what else was there to do for Paul but to worship? His trust in God controlled his heart. His heart controlled his actions. It was the natural thing for him to do. Be there in the prison singing. I used to be a sheriff's chaplain. I think I've told you stories um, at different points about this. Um, 
this was in Panama City when I was first came into the ministry. I was a sheriff's chaplain as well as pastor. And I would be called in to be with a family who had just uh, lost a family member. And so I, could, I would walk into these, these really tragic circumstances. And uh, the people didn't know me. I didn't know them. Uh, they knew I was a pastor. And so the logical thing for me to do would be to read a passage of Scripture with them and pray. That's what they were looking for me to do. Uh, I would do that. I would always pick a passage that talked about God's greatness and power. And instinctively, I found even these families that it was just obvious that they didn't know God, didn't love God. But when they would hear the Scriptures talking about God and how great and mighty He was... They would begin looking toward him. Um, and what I mean by that is when I would get there, their whole field of vision was the circumstance in front of them. So and so has died. My infant has died. My son has died. My father, my husband, and my wife has died. And that just filled their whole um, viewpoint. And they could have no hope whatsoever because all they could see was the tragedy. But simply reading some scripture about God and His power, all of a sudden, their circumstances, the tragedy would begin to shrink. When you have a big God, your circumstances, your problems, your suffering shrink in comparison. You have a small God who's not in control and it's going to cause your circumstances, your suffering, your problems to greatly expand. But when you know that all of your problems, all of your life, all of your circumstances are in the hands of an almighty God who has all the power, you know, infinitely more than all the power in the universe and that He loves you so much that He gave His Son to die for you, you can know that your circumstances really are small. Or as Paul said, fleeting and momentary. Not worth uh, comparing with the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Jesus Christ. I've said a lot about the importance of the heart. But I haven't answered that question I raised at the beginning of how we can bring ourselves to trust uh, God more consistently while we're in the middle of suffering. And I want to get to that question. And I'm going to get there. But first I also want to talk about the issue of consequences. Because we see in verses 29 and, and 30 that there are consequences to our behavior. Paul and Barnabas have been worshiping the... the um, the, the gates to the jail had flown open. They could have left. But Paul and Barnabas, because they were worshiping God, they were viewed amongst the other prisoners as leaders. They didn't leave. The other prisoners stayed behind as well. The jailer comes in supposing that they have left. Um, he knew it was unnatural for anyone to stay in jail when God had obviously allowed them to go with this earthquake. And so it says in verse 29, the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas when he realized they were still here. 
He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Our actions have consequences. Galatians uh, chapter six, verses seven through ten says, "Do not be con- do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from that flesh will reap corruption. But to one who sows to the Spirit, uh, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So." then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith what these what these verses teach is that every one of us is a farmer sowing seeds either you are sowing seeds to uh, to grow the flesh or you are sowing seeds to grow the spirit but you are a farmer. And there is no middle ground, no neutral seeds. And every seed that you plant will sprout. In other words, what I'm saying here and what God's saying is that one cannot escape the consequences of their actions. We cannot escape because none of us in our actions or even in our secret and hidden faults can escape God's notice. Listen to Romans uh, chapter 2, verses 6-8. through 8. God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There are two sides to every action that you uh, that you commit. Uh, there is the consequence, the negative consequence, or the righteous consequence. You serve God. You put Him first. You will reap righteousness. Even when you are under suffering and trials, persecution, whatever. That's just God furrowing the ground, making you more fertile so that you can sprout more righteousness. Um, John chapter 10. He prunes those he loves. You sow unrighteousness and you will reap um, unrighteousness and judgment. What What types of seeds are you sowing in your life? Paul and Silas, they were sowing righteousness. Their singing, their worshiping God was bearing fruit. They instantly became leaders amongst the other prisoners. When the the door flew open, they stayed there because they were trusting in God. All the other uh, prisoners stayed there. And this jailer came to faith because of their trust in God. And then finally, um, the last point, our behavior is only truly changed by Jesus. This is where I come to that question. So how can we bring ourselves to trust God more consistently uh, while in the middle of suffering? The short answer is, it's only through Jesus Christ. Look, look at verses 31 
through 34. And they said, in response to this question, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. He brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It's very tempting for us to have ten steps to, to, um, to, to, to rejoice in our suffering. Or to have five um, things that we should do to, um, to be able to trust God more. And we, we lay them out in steps because these are things that we can do by doing certain things. We feel like then we have control. We feel like we are able to add something to it. And that makes us feel good. Well, one way I can, can trust God more uh, in the middle of suffering is read my Bible. Another thing I can do is pray. Another thing I can do is go to church. And it is so easy to overlook the first thing. It is so easy to overlook the starting point. And we get into changing our behaviors rather than changing our hearts. You can't change your heart. A heart surgeon cannot change your heart. There's only one person that's able to change your heart, and that is God alone. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. That's why He rose from the grave. That's why He is sitting in heaven making intercession for us. That is why He poured out His Spirit after He went to heaven. Because He is the one who changes people's hearts. All these other things that we try and do, if we don't flee to Jesus first... We're missing. We're stapling fruit in our lives. Jesus Christ is not a step in a process. He is Almighty God that loves sinners so much that He came and died for sinners. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He came so that we might have a relationship with with the Father. He has a relationship with us. Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. He came to change us. He's the only one that can change us. So in response to this question, how can we bring ourselves to trust God more consistently while in the middle of suffering? The simple answer is flee to Jesus. Embrace Him by faith. Take hold of Him and don't let go. Now part of embracing Him might be seeking Him in prayer. Hearing His promises from His Word. But stay away from that behaviorism. Stay away from trying to simply change your behaviors. Come to Jesus. And He has... He has... 
all the power in the universe and, and, and more so. And He makes it. He gives it to you at, your, at His disposal. He gives it to you to change your life. In other words, you seek Him, you will find Him, and He will change you. Stay close to Jesus. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. That's the reason they were able to worship in impossible circumstances. Because Jesus um, had gripped their hearts. And they, in response, had, were holding on to Him by faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, we want to add something to... Um, to Jesus Christ. And we defame Him. We uh, distort His grace every time we do so. God, I pray that You would help us all to flee to Him and take hold of Him and He will change us. Father, I pray that if there are any here who are unwilling to flee to Him, who do not want to be changed, I pray that Jesus would change uh, them as well. I pray in His name. Amen.